Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Welcome back, Scriptorians. We are headed back into Isaiah, and we're finally, finally, hooray! There, we are in the actual chapters in how Nephi is going to handle the fantastic sections of Isaiah in Second Nephi. Next. So we've taken three different chances to go back and kind of do our prep work, and there's just a ton more you can do if you want to go back and look at um, especially Hebrew poetry and the structure of that. I think that's really helpful. But I figured let's just jump in and let's go ahead and take a look. Today what I want to do is a little bit backwards from sometimes when we get into the actual verses. A lot of times we read the verses and then we talk about what they mean. And I want to do a little bit of the opposite. Uh, I find it helpful when I'm reading through this to kind of get the, the themes and what I think's going on. And then when we read through it, you'll kind of have them at top of mind and see if you don't see them. Now, one thing that we just mentioned that I know what makes it so hard is that a lot of Isaiah, almost all of it, in fact, is poetry. And so I don't know about you guys in school, but when I studied poetry, I hated it because I never really got it. It was, um, it had a specific form. In English, you have all these rhymes and couplets and different things that happen. And so I never, I was, I never really caught what was going on because it was always really had to think it through and see the, the imagery and these different tools. Hebrew poetry is really no different. It's the thing that's hard though is that it's not in Hebrew anymore. We're reading it in English. And then the second is that you don't know all those tools that they used to use in Hebrew poetry. So they are helpful if you can kind of learn them. But I'll point out a few as we go and you'll start to pick it up. So let's jump in. Let's turn turn over to um I'm gonna start with Second Nephi 12, and, and that's where we're going to get, which is the same as Isaiah 2. And we're just going to do two or three chapters today. I just want to do, well, two chapters. So we'll just go through 14, and because it goes very well together. And then we'll do the uh, song next, um, and then we'll jump into my very favorite, chapter 6. So we have a lot to go through. So we're just going to start with this and see if we see some of the themes. Okay, so that's what we're going to head into next. So if you want to pre-read it, that's great, but we're going to start with chapter 12, and I just want to tell you some of what we're going to find out about what it means, and then we'll read it together. All right? Okay, so if you remember what Nephi and Jacob were talking about was they were talking about this house of Israel, this remnant of Joseph, so this house of Jacob, all of those tribes, and how they are separated from them. And they're thinking about a time when things are going to come back together. How is this covenant going to happen? How is our salvation? How is our redemption going to happen? And how do we fit into this big plan? And so he's so excited to tell about God's big plan and how it's going to work out. So 
think about that as we go in, because what he's going to do is he's going to start right out and he's going to go through a vision of, of kind of the end days, which we call uh, eschatological, which just means the end times, right? A study of the end times. So he's going to start out with the context of saying, I'm going to look into the day Oh, and he says it will happen in the latter days. So he's going to say this time of redemption, this time when God finally uh, overcomes all the evil of the world, all these terrible things that are happening or have happened. This day, the day of the Lord is finally going to happen in the latter days. Uh, this is when the wondrous redemption will finally come. So we're going to immediately think of salvation, redemption, the end times, the latter days, and goodness, when good things are finally going to happen. Now, these are theological concepts. So I, let's not jump to these are going to be political or social. Yes, those may be secondary. But primarily, this is talking about big picture stuff when everything is going to finally be redeemed. For Nephi's people, remember, they're probably a small group of people. They're probably separated. They're far away from Jerusalem. And they're trying to say, how do we even fit? How is this all going to come together? And he is saying, in the end, in the latter days, in the end, this is when this is going to come to pass when God's people and God's time are all going to be uh, put back together. So in these chapters, this the whole section really that we're going to read in Nephi we're going to really see that that's the themes of salvation and judgment, right? We talked about it, salvation, judgment, judgment, hope, um, and how it's going to come together with the remnant through the Messiah. Okay, so one of the things you're going to look at is this idea of Zion, the faithful city. Um, Jerusalem is is one of the taller hills in the area, and on the very tippy top, there's uh, is the Mount of Olives is up on the top, but on the very top edge of that hillside is uh, there was a tower called Mount Zion. And right where Mount Zion was, this tower um, that looked over all the land was kind of right where the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and the east and the west all met. So it was the central kind of the navel of the universe in a way, right? The center point. And so this Mount Zion. Now, when you think of that, we talked about that Zion, Jerusalem, um, the Lord's temple, his presence. It reminds us of the temple, his presence back to Eden, coming back into his presence, returning back to the time when God was in charge and wants to bring us back to him. So this temple, mountain, Zion, Eden is all combined. So as we come back, he's going to return there. Now, if you remember some other, it's going to start with this idea of God's going to come back to there. And then in the next couple chapters, um, as we end this section, it's going to end with uh, God coming to his temple. Now, remember when he did that uh, in the ancient times, they saw smoke and fire and light. And so when it was, it was Mount Zion uh, or uh, Sinai or when the Lord came to his temple in ancient days or in recent dispensations, right, it was filled with light. And they even said maybe smoke or um, fire and so it's going to end. So we're going to start with this idea of when God returns to the earth or to the presence. So it could be second coming, could also be just this idea of when salvation comes. And again, Zion, Garden, Temple, Eden, Jerusalem.
Okay, so that's kind of the first idea that you're going to see. And it's going to start out, the story is going to say, in those latter days, this is when all the end times, when the eschatological, when all the goodness is going to happen, when the Lord's going to return and things are going to be set right. And and then it ends with the beautiful vision. We're going to read it together, but this vision of not just Jacob's people, not just Israel coming and streaming the nations, but all people will be coming. They will see and they want to be, they want to learn of the Lord. And so they're going to be streaming to this mountain. They're going to be coming to it and saying everything. So the dream, if you remember, of all of the Abrahamic covenant is not just for some people to be saved, but how are all people going to be saved? And so here's this vision of God coming back um, and redeeming his people on this Mount Zion and all nations. So we should be thinking the covenant and we should be saying this is when all of it's going to work out. Okay, what's next? So that's the first section, and it's going to end chapter, the the next two chapters. It kind of starts with this idea, and it ends with this idea. So it's kind of our inclusio, it's kind of our bookends, and then there's going to be stuff in the middle. So in the middle of this, you're going to see a contrast between the pride, the um, honors of men, the things that have gotten people into trouble. So it's going to be contrasting those. So again, it's a poem, and so you're going to get a lot of um, repetitive verses and visions of the chariots and the power and the, the people uh, kind of ruining the poor. Um, so just think, these are the good times, these are the bad times, and this is what's gotten us into this mess, whether it's political, social, spiritual, um, all of it is going to be kind of called out. It was like, here's, here's kind of the bad end of it. So... Um, as we read, you'll see those. You'll see those kind of a juxtaposition of those two things. Okay, so if that sets up our main theme that God is going to be the one who establishes peace and harmony and returns salvation and goodness to the earth, we're going to flip into the middle section of these chapters with a contrast. And the contrast is the pride and the arrogance and the of not only the immediate people in this case Judah or whomever but also just generally people and so it's going to be this this strong vision of God and then this kind of ugh, how we got in such trouble and it's because of the pride and arrogance of the people and so it does it in a really unique way um, one of the things you'll notice from kind of oh verse six through about verse 11 is there's a, a repetitive um it's almost I, I saw one um teacher taught it's like a drum beat and it's like it's full of this it's full of it's full of this there is no end it's full of there is no end it's full of it man will be humbled and then so it's got kind of a drum beat boom 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 because it keeps repeating this same phrase so judah and the people are going to be humbled so it's full of this, it's full of that, insert bad things. Then you're going to see also future humbling, other proud nations, and then God's going to be exalted. So instead of um, how did all of this happen, where terrible things can happen to us? Well, because we put ourselves ahead of God. So you're going to see the same kind of drumbeat through 12 through 22. For all, for all, boom, for all, for all for all, for every, for every, for every. And so you're starting to see, oh, I should feel it building. Boom, boom, boom. Again, it's poetry. So there's a lot of, uh, one of the characteristics of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. So it just repeats and repeats and repeats. So 
it's harder to see because of how it's lined up in your scriptures. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. So you'll see that it's God is made high and comes down and then all these things will be brought low. Those things that probably drive you crazy, just like me, where it's like good people win, armies are terrible, um, social rulers oppress people. And it's going to be those are going to be there's it's going to be brought low, brought low for all of them, for every full of, full of, boom, boom. Okay. So those kind of sub areas will be, um, you're going to feel that feeling. So when you read through that, uh, chapter 12, um, let's see if we see that. So let's read it together. It's not very long. Uh, the first one's just introduction, the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, by the way, this is Isaiah 2. There's no Isaiah 1, and which is really super interesting. Thank you, Joseph. Is that Joseph Smith? <laughs> the chapter 1 is thought to be a summary put in much later. I don't know how he would know that. Obviously, it wasn't there in the brass plates. So I think that's super interesting. So it's just like, by the way, this is what um, Isaiah saw. We're going to find out how he's a visionary in a few chapters, but here's that introduction. See if you can hear what we just talked about. And it shall come to pass in the last days when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall exalt above all the hills and all the nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach of us, us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. There's your first paragraph. Did you catch it? It's setting this picture. In the last days, people will be redeemed. And it's going to be the mountain of the Lord's house right up on that Mount Zion, the temple, the high place, Eden, garden, Zion, Jerusalem. And it's going to just parallel mountain, 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 Jerusalem. Um, a lot of times I've heard people break this up and try to say, see, this means that Jerusalem's one place and the new Jerusalem's another place. Maybe, but that's not how Hebrew poetry works. So they use a lot of parallels because they're trying to point it out to you. So they're going to uh, show those. We will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his path. He will give the law, the word, right? The law, the word, the Lord, Jerusalem, Zion. It's parallel, parallel, parallel. And then, he is going to judge the nations. This is almost an exact quote, by the way, um, and you'll see it in uh, Micah 4, 1 through 4, except for that last verse is a little bit different. So it might have been a common prophecy, something that they knew. It might have been a hymn, might be a poem that they knew. But uh, Micah 1 through 4 is almost this exact thing. So this was something people knew was going to happen. So this is saying, hey, in the last days, this awesome thing's going to happen. Um, then, then you kind of move into the next one. This one's the little section. It's a little bit different from Micah. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yea, come for all have gone astray, everyone to his wicked ways. So there's the transition. It isn't going to be that greatness yet. That's in the latter days. But for now, we've all gone astray. And how did we get there? Then you go through the next section. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then you can read through these and see if you hear that kind of that drumbeat. Uh, you're going to watch for full of this, full of that, full of this. So it's going to say, how did the, um, the Lord's forsaken his people, but it's it's really because they've forsaken him. So it's going to give this litany of things where they have 
uh, broken the commandments, where they have um, beaten down the poor, where they have become proud, right? So what are the things that have really pulled them down? Wherefore, or lo- or this is verse six, therefore, O Lord, thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and hearken unto soothsayers like the Philistines and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Their land is full of silver and gold. Neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is full of horses. Neither is the any end of their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. So it's saying, how did they get there? And it might be a little bit odd, but it's like they listened to poor prophets. They worried about making money. They power horses and chariots and armies, right? So they were they they listened to poor they listened to quack prophets. They worried about money and and pride, and they got power and military might, and then they worshipped um, other gods. They left God behind. So did you hear it? Those are the things. That's how they got themselves in trouble. So it's a caution to us. And then what will happen, and it's going to give cautions. A mean man boweth not down, and a great man humbleth himself not. Therefore forgive him not. No one's humble, right? O ye wicked ones, enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust, for the fear of the Lord and the glory of his majesty shall smite thee, and it shall come to pass. Okay, so now (laughs) this is where it's a little bit different. Now it's going to say what's going to happen, right? These are the some of the terrible things the Lord's going to humble. Those are how they got there. And now the Lord's going to humble. This is what's going to happen. See if you can follow it. And it shall come to pass that the lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. See the juxtaposition high, low. It's no longer the people that exalt themselves in pride, but only the Lord Only the Lord will be exalted and all these others will be humbled. For the day of the Lord of hosts soon cometh upon all nations, yea, upon every one, yea, upon the proud and the lofty, and upon every one who is lifted up and he shall be brought low. Yea, the day of the Lord shall come upon all the cedars of Lebanon, for they are higher and lifted up upon the oaks of Bashan and upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills and upon all the nations which are lifted up upon every people, upon every every high tower, upon every fenced wall, upon all the ships of the sea, upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon the pleasant pictures. And the loftiness of man shall bow down, and the haughtiness of man shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, you can hear the poetry now, right? You're like, oh, I get it. So it's like the day the Lord will be brought up, and all these other things, um, that they sent the cedars and stuff to make the temple, but it doesn't matter what they are. They're all things that are like proud and riches and whatever. It's like they will be um, the high, these fake temples, these fake hills upon the high people and the high tower and the fence, all of them will be brought low and only the Lord will be brought up. And then it goes on to say in that day, they'll cast down the idols um, and people will hide. And then I love this. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils. For wherein is he to be accounted for? Like the very life, the breath of life that gives us life is, is God. So why are we so proud of ourselves? Right? So pride, power, corruption. That's it. You've now done Second Nephi 12. So what did you think? Do you feel like you're following it a little bit more? Do you feel like you're kind of getting it? By the way, the next two chapters follow the same thing. So as you go through 13 and 14 of 2 Nephi, you're going to find that it's the same way that that 
it's going to talk about these these things that have made us proud. And and it might be stuff you're not following very well, but just think that's that's kind of what it's seeing and see if you get it. So it's going to tell us about um, people who are um, they're weak rulers. So they'd make a child the ruler. I mean, they just have nothing going for them. So if you have a coat, that's all you need. You're our ruler. If you have a coat and a kid can rule us, things will just be bad. Now, I know some of you are looking at this and going, this is going to be the last days. It's going to be the, you know, it's still coming. Yes and no. Uh, this is definitely happening in their time. It's definitely happening today and it could be happening again. Um, but I think it's generally saying we become so proud that we uh, don't even see how awesome the Lord is and we're putting a coat on a kid and just because he has a coat it's what makes him better they're just saying um, these images of how different it is and how much higher and exalted the Lord is and so he's going to go through that in the next couple chapters it's going to use a couple other things too it's going to use these um, women um, don't get married to this. This is some idea of women's suck or whatever in their, their clothing. But it's going to go through this long description of all these haughty clothing and then brought down. But then it's going to redeem her as the daughter of Zion, right? Now she's um, exalted when God exalts her, not by all these things that she puts on herself. Same thing we all do. Um, and then it'll be bad, right? The women. Anyway, there's lots of different things here. A couple more things that I just want to draw out. It's the very end um, in 14, and in that day, remember we talked about this, the day of the Lord, that day, the final day, the day of the Lord. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth excellent and comely to them that are escaped of Israel. Two things we're going to see with the branch. You're going to see the branch sometimes be the Messiah, right? The branch of Jesse. You're going to see that. But you're also going to see this revitalization of the land that it's Eden again, right? The, the flourishing growth of Eden and, and the fruit and everything's going to uh, regrow on its own and no more briars and thistles, but the branch will grow and it will give fruit to everyone. And of course, that is the Savior. And it shall come to pass that they that are left in Zion and remaining in Jerusalem shall be called holy, everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. And the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof with the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And here it is. This is our, remember, we started with the mount. Here's the end. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place a Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory of Zion shall be a defense and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and a co covert from storm and from rain. That's how it started. We're going to have a refuge. Lord's going to come to that mountain, Zion, Jerusalem. And in the end of this section, it's going to do the same thing. Remember the cloud and the smoke and the day. This is where we'll come to safety in the Lord and he will redeem and save us. That is just beautiful. I, I, just have loved this poem so far all right you've done it you've done the first couple chapters uh what do you think did it help to kind of go through some of those ideas i'm grateful for isaiah i love the beauty of the lord saving us and the exaltation and i know you're gonna like it too all right that's it scriptorians next time we'll hit into the song of the vineyard <laughs>